Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Hey there, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. No, this is not podcast host extraordinaire Eric Geyer. My name is Tyler Frederick filling in today because we have a super special guest today, Eric Geyer himself. That's right. Eric is in the hot seat for this one. We have a lot to discuss, so let's get right to it. How are you doing today, Eric? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I got off work. It's a little late at night, but you know we're working on a podcast, so I'm doing good. <laughs> yes. Hope, hopefully you've not been burning up too much in this heat we've been, been having. No, it's it's hot in Ohio, but not like probably the rest of America. We're used to being a lot colder. <laughs> so I hear that you have a new job change that you've alluded to in the podcast recently. You want to you want to tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's kind of crazy because I uh, I had a opportunity to take a position as a pharmacy director up here in Cleveland at uh, FQHC, and it was kind of cool because a lot of the people had who interviewed me had actually heard the podcast and like, they kind of knew like what I wanted to do and kind of what motivates me for, for pharmacy and just everything in general. So it was kind of cool to have that. And just basically like the podcast was like half my interview, you know, like they kind of knew me walking in and that was just really awesome. Cause then I, they made the interview a lot easier, right? I didn't have to go like share my beliefs on anything. And I try to be genuine on the podcast. So that's ended up, I ended up getting the job. I started about a month ago. Uh, by the time this airs, maybe maybe a month and a half ago, and uh, it's been it's been challenging, but it's been kind of fun too. At the same time, to kind of put everything that I've learned and connections I made in the podcast kind of to work to help make it better for the patients. So, how has being a director been different than being the far the, the pharmacist in charge at your local pharmacy on the corner? <laughs> so it's I'm not gonna say it's a lot different. It it's different because you know you have to think of like how do I manage this when I'm not there? And that, you know, when you're the pharmacist in charge or the pharmacy manager, like you're there, you're telling everyone, you know, you're helping direct everything like boots on the ground style. And I actually trying to think of like, what's going to motivate my team or how to motivate them. But not just that too. Like once you magically put like a title, like pharmacy director in, it's amazing how many people find your email box or find your phone number online and start trying to sell you stuff that you probably don't need. So it's been a little interesting because my default setting with podcast or whatever is always to say yes to people. And now I have to be like, no, that's not going to be worth my time. And it's, I don't want that to come off as like arrogant or cocky just because I have to do a lot of other things too. And we're trying to roll out a lot of newer initiatives and with the Delta wave kind of making a comeback, we're having to reevaluate COVID and things like that and how we keep our community safe. So there's enough other things we're trying to juggle at the same time still that, you know, I really have to try and pick my priorities of where I want to kind of focus my energy or focus my attention to, to make a difference for people. And since it's an FQHC, like, yeah, profit matters so we can obviously keep in business and keep ourselves afloat, but it's not the, the driving factor like it is behind some of the chains where just greed at all costs, right? Like if we have to spend money to make it a little better for patients sometimes, we'll do it just because you have to be able to take care of them. And that's our, our first and overall mission is to take care of patients and help them live better lives. So what is your day-to-day job like now? I mean, are you still checking prescriptions every day or <laughs> no. are you? No, it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, after, that's what I was doing for a long time. And heck, since I was 14, I've really worked in a pharmacy basically to some extent, especially on the retail counter side, although I did do some hospital rotations and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm not doing that at all now. So I have to kind of come in and like understand what a different computer system looks like, where the reports come from. 
and then also understand what it's like on a day-to-day -day basis for my team since they do a lot of other stuff like you know some of your long-acting injectables that I never had to deal with. More direct relationships, especially with COVID with like the state board and not going through the huge management bureaucracy that is a lot of these big chains where you have to send an email off or fill out a form that magically just gets done. Like there's a lot more hands-on with that stuff, which is definitely a learning curve for me right now. I'm not going to lie. It's sometimes it's, I just have to figure out who I have to ask questions to sometimes, which is kind of interesting. I don't just throw it into the ether and it'll get answered or figured out or fall on deaf ears. But it's one of those things that I now have to be that person. And because we are a small facility, everything pharmacy is me. So I'm talking to the chief medical officer, the CEO will reach out to me on stuff. Some of these other initiatives with like the state board or the state department of health, if it relates to pharmacy, like I'm the person having to try and answer that question to field it, to filter it, get it to my team and kind of play that middleman role. So a lot of times I always said pharmacy is like two degrees of separation, right? Like if, if I don't know you, I'll know someone who knows you. It's such a small field. Well, like that's kind of what I'm doing now is like, okay, this guy presents a question to me. This girl needs this answer. Let me connect them so that we can make this work. Or here's a problem I have. I know this is a solution. Where do I find like the, the connecting plug to make this all go together? So it's a lot of that, which might sound easy, but it's not as easy as it, you would think. And the amount of emails I get now compared to what I used to get as a pharmacy manager is probably like 10 times more. So there's a lot more keeping a track, that sort of stuff too. I can totally relate to the <laughs> two degrees of separation of everything. My home state of Kentucky, I feel like no matter how far away I got, I knew someone who knew someone I used to work for. And I'm only two years out of pharmacy school. <laughs> and it was <laughs> So totally get how it's, pharmacy is, can be such a small world. So always got to be something to you know mind your P's and Q's a little bit about. Yeah. So we're recording this one with you as our special guest uh, because this is the 100th episode. Yeah. So how, how, how are you feeling 100 episodes into today? It, it actually came up kind of quick. Like it's been a little bit over two years since I started. That's basically an episode a week for two years, which thank my wife for having patience to put up with me to do this crazy <laughs> hobby since we had a kid and everything else. And then COVID hit and it's just like, it's one catastrophe after the other in our lives. It seems like just because that's what happens when you get older, but it's been a lot of, uh, it's, it, it's been awesome. Actually. I never necessarily thought this would hit a hundred episodes to be honest with you. I, I didn't really know how it was going to go. I just kind of thought that we always hear people talk about drug prices, talk about like the politics of healthcare, but no one ever seemed to be representing pharmacy from the pharmacist perspective. And that was the part that really kind of got me was I, I, I'll be honest, I went to a Capsi GCC the summer of 2019 and it happened to be in DC and everyone there was kind of talking like, Hey, you know, like this would be a good time. And there's reasons that we couldn't like help facilitate meetings with legislators because we're a nonprofit. And so, you know, totally respect that. But everybody that I kind of threw the idea out to, as we started talking, it really just started rolling of like, Hey, I would support this. I will listen to this. I would support this. I will listen to it. And that's been like a lot of my guests. There's heck, there's even a few of them that I've said I need to get on and I really do need to get on, but I haven't even got them on. And I know they listen to it. So it's, that's pretty cool. In fact, one of the people who's a huge supporter, uh, Brett Barker, who does like everything in pharmacy and in politics in Iowa, he was one of my guests who helped really push this. And it was pretty cool too. He was there from like day one when it was a concept when we were you know running a 5k around DC just for shits and giggles. And it was kind of cool to now see it come to fruition, someone like him to support it. And, you know, we have our disagreements sometimes with politics as anybody would, right? Like I'm sure even me and you would disagree at times, Tyler, but it's one of those things that 
that's what it's here for is let's have a civil discussion about it. Let's talk about it. Let's bring it to the forefront from our perspective. And one of the cool things was, is, you know, I've had some guests on before who are obviously our politicians. I have a few more hopefully lined up. They were just trying to hammer out some details on, but some of the best conversations with them weren't even on the podcast. They were either before or after. And there was even Randy Clayton who was on. I was talking to her afterwards about just kind of some of the things and how pharmacy works. And she's a huge, she's a great patient advocate. She's amazing. And one of the bills that she actually proposed kind of came from the, one of the discussions we had after the podcast. And it was really cool to see like, holy crap, like having a real discussion with somebody actually can lead to real results. Like that's, that's amazing. Like we don't have to always be fighting or bickering or sending tweets back and forth to each other. So out of a hundred episodes, I think I got one proposed. It didn't pass, but that is what it is. But you know, that's kind of cool to see that, you know, something like just doing a podcast over here and in my little office can result in something like actually being proposed with actionable steps that could mean something to people. And Again, maybe there'll be more. Maybe there won't be any more. But I thought that was really cool. That was something that come, came from this podcast specifically. Yeah, it's been really nice for me as a listener. Some of the guests you've had on who were politicians, who I you know may not necessarily agree with on a lot of different things, but the way they talk about pharmacy and the way they want to support us, it, it was just so great to hear a different side of them than what you hear in the everyday news media. And just the fact is, I mean, we're recording this on the week that the Senate passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and it's knowing that you do have to work with people across the aisle to get stuff like this done. And it's so nice to have someone like you and have people like your guest working on this stuff that we're going to need bipartisan input in to get these things passed to benefit us as pharmacists and pharmacy as a whole. Yeah, and one of the funny things there too is, right, so when you talk about pharmacy, a lot of people, when they see drug prices, they think it's like the greedy pharmacist or something who's like behind the counter like Scrooge McDuck throwing gold coins and bullion around or something like that. But oftentimes, we're the ones actually getting pinched by it. We're not the PBMs. We're not big pharma who make the majority of it. We're like that last mile who it's really has the tight margins on it. And when people ask us about drug prices, we get just as pissed as the patients, right? Like, why is an EpiPen cost like $700, right? And why is a Billify have this crazy cash price when we know it's so cheap? And, and Matinib, like, let's treat cancer. Why is this so expensive? And we see the cash price on it, but then we know there's all these other backdoor games being played and money just moving hands back and forth that we get pissed too because, you know, yeah, sure, some of the independents probably get a little bit of a cut, but they're getting crushed and everything else by the PBMs too. So we're really the, like the last mile who is just getting beat up, bloodied, and then screamed at by the upset patients who we actually commiserate with about these drug prices. So that's one thing that, man, it's just, uh, the perception of that just kills me. Well, and, and it's so nice that you, not only yourself, but have brought in guests to really shine a light on a, a lot of these issues because drug pricing is not clear. You have all these different spread pricing and other word salad or letter <laughs> salad to describe what's going on as far as money changing hands. And to have someone like you sit down and explain a lot of this, I think not only helps us as pharmacists understand it better, but allows us to communicate that with our patients and with local officials and so that we can get a lot of this stuff changed. I mean, this is the political pharmacist podcast. Yeah. You know, got to change the politics of all this. Well, and it's crazy too, right? So like I would probably say when I started this, I knew more than most of your community retail chain pharmacists, right? Like I was, I had a lot more knowledge of some of it, but I've learned 
a lot in these hundred episodes that I didn't realize. And, you know, calling myself out on it, if you listen back to, I think it was episode 96 or 97 with AJ Loyacano from Capital RX, he was talking about the refusal rates of prior authorizations and what their rate was. And I was like, oh, that seems pretty high. And he's like, no, no, that's actually, lo- like, you know, that's that's not. And I was like, okay, I have to own that. I didn't know that. But why would I know that? I don't run a PBM like he does. So I, I think a lot of that too is, you know, just the things you learn from are amazing. And some of the people with contacts I've made, whether it's people like you who have been like listening to it and stuff like that, or it's been Scott Knorr just happened to come on the week he gets announced APHA CEO, like stuff like that is just like, kind of random connections but it happened for a reason and it's kind of cool that people have bought into my passion about this a little bit and like you said sat down had a civil discussion about it i mean i even brought an md on who i did not agree with and we still had a civil discussion about the topic and i think that that's kind of like a lost art in politics these days and especially at pharmacy counters when people just get mad and you know start throwing their pill bottles at you because they're upset about the whole system and quite frankly, I can't blame them. Uh, You know, it's one of those things that we just have lost the ability. I feel like a lot of times to have a civil discussion, like look at all your, your news media, except for NPR, they're almost all shock jock and yelling at people. And when you actually do have somebody who has a civil discussion with somebody, it might not get huge ratings, but listen to what they said, kind of in full transparency. That's one reason I thought Andrew Yang was a cool candidate who ran for president was because, you know, all these other people would yell about the talking points. And he's over here like, pharmacists are going to be out of jobs because of AI. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like this guy has a legit point, you know, like let's, let's look at what he's saying here. Let's look at like the truck drivers who might get put out because that doesn't just affect us. That also affects blue collar jobs and other things. And so I think when you have people like that who actually make a civil discussion, sometimes it just, it's, it's such a complex discussion. It's not a black or white, this tribe versus that tribe. And I think that's, Kind of what I like doing is having those complex discussions. Personally, I like having them with friends. Like, hey, if you have them over a bonfire, like that's a great time to do it too. But sometimes you just need to record it and throw it on the air. And that's kind of what I just started doing and by inviting people I know. And then it just kind of kept building people who would come on the podcast to even get politicians on who have way more clout than any of us right now when it comes to making changes. So so you're 100 episodes in. Is there a favorite guest, a favorite episode, a favorite thing you've learned? Like, What are some of your favorites from oh, these man. last 100 episodes? You know, I'm not going to lie. Scott Kenora one is awesome for me just because like the timing, like the stars aligned for it. And then he's been awesome to just have like be able to talk to about stuff or send an email to and know that he's going to respond and like be genuine about it. Or he's called me about some stuff and be like, hey, what does this look like on the front lines? And it's kind of cool to have that little bit of a connection it's just it's so cool to be able to connect with that so that's that's one just because it's built like a relationship for me um sandra leal is always awesome and just because of what she does and her background with everything honestly aj was one of my favorite ones just because he it's kind of cool to see a ceo of a pbm call out all of his competitors for just having bad practices when 98 other episodes all knew it and talked about it then him to actually come out and say it is like yeah hey thanks for supporting us big guy um <laughs> But then aside from that, Antonio Chacha, I know I mention him all the time. He's just always great to have on too. Just his quotes are amazing. The work he does with his companies is just absolutely amazing for pharmacy, for just public, from what I've generally seen from like exposing drug prices and bringing some of these lawsuits to the top and forefront of each state. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of tough too. Just Greg Posner was really awesome to have somebody who was a journalist and had no bone in the game, but then really dug in on pharma. And even he said PBMs were one of the ones that is like the sleeping giant in this industry and needs more light on it. I don't know. It's hard to pick a favorite. 
I would probably, you know, honestly, and this sounds corny, the first one was so hard to do and edit. I think it took me like five hours to edit it. And like, I'll never forget that, how long it took me to do it just to kind of clean it up because I had no idea what I was doing. So that's one that is always has a special place in my heart just because, you know, it was me and Greg Cramp kind of going back and forth. And to be honest, we both knew what we wanted to talk about, but we didn't know what we were doing for making a podcast. So it was kind of like just us in the raw doing it. And that one always stuck out too. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to pick. I, the first one is just, you know, it's like the first time you do it, it kind of like stole your heart and you're like, Hey, I like this. So that's probably my, my go-to. Yeah. I will say, I mean, I've been list, listening to this for a while now and I feel like it is really hit. This podcast has really hit its stride and some of your most recent guests, you know, over the last, over, over the last, you know, eight months or so has just really expanded the scope of this this podcast and it's been so much to learn i mean i bought the pharma book i think i bought maybe another book you had recommended from this podcast and just learning everything from all the guests you've had on you continue to really push the bounds of what this podcast can be and it's it, it, it is it is such an awesome podcast to constantly listen to well thank you i i appreciate it because i do pour and just ridiculous amount of time into trying to do this and making contacts. And there's been so many episodes that haven't happened for one reason or another. I actually had one of a, her last name is Van put or Van Laput. She was one of the, the people who helped with Obama's campaign. And she's also a pharmacist and she ran for governor in Texas. She was scheduled to come on literally the day my wife went into labor and I had to come home to grab something and I had forgotten about it. And she calls me and I'm like, um, I know you're huge in the politics of the U S <laughs> in the U S but uh, my wife is at the hospital right now giving birth. I have to go. And she's like, nope, I get it. And that episode never happened. And just because we can never get schedules to align. But, you know, I have a daughter out of it. So I can say I, I got the better end of that deal either which way. And But there's there's been a few, a few episodes like that where stuff just kind of fell through. Or, you know, there's also a few where I started talking to either like a reporter or somebody else. And now I have a connection to bloom to something else from the COVID group which I also kind of fed in this podcast a little bit, but you know, it just really just was my passion in pharmacy to help kind of watch this. And Steve Meyer definitely started that group. I want to make sure he gets all credit for it. It's his, his vision. He stepped back because of a number of things that had not necessarily occurred in the group, but just like with life that were going on with him. So I just kind of ran with it and we saw a lot of positive things from there. And a lot of that stuff I don't talk about in the podcast, but it was a way that I was able to help bring some issues in pharmacy to light kind of behind the scenes that, because of contract law, I couldn't get El, you know like people like Ellen Gabler on here because New York Times owns everything she does. But she was always supportive, kind of what I did and things like that. It was cool to actually see her write a, basically a New York Times article about what we were seeing with hydroxychloroquine and stuff like that off of something that was on a Facebook group. And it's just kind of nice to know that you have those connections that are able to actually put the stuff out there in a way that it gets seen and heard, which, again, has nothing to do with the podcast. But if it wasn't for me having a little bit of a voice – it might not have happened. So that's kind of cool to put my little Burger King crown hat on and celebrate with. So you've had a great past 100 episodes, but looking forward, I I know you have a lot of other guests you have in the works that you are scheduling or a number of things like that. But who is one or two people you would love to have on in the next 100 episodes? Oh man. Um, It's so tough, right? Like, because the default, I start thinking of politicians. And I, I would never say Joe Biden because I'm never going to get the president on this podcast. Like, he's not even on his own podcast. So, like, that's not going to happen. 
probably somebody I would love to see come on. Oh man, I Dan Schneider is one. I just think he's got like a unique story, and he really. I mean, as much as work as I put into this, he's put in way more work to make that Netflix documentary. All the stuff with the son and the, the tragedy and things like that. Like, I, I never want to understate that. Heck, he was going through that when I was in high school. And so he's been doing this for way longer than I have. And he's got that name recognition. I think everyone I know has watched that documentary, probably because they know me and I was talking about it. But like even my in-laws, before I said anything to them, did you see the show coming to Netflix about the pharmacist? I'm like, yes, I did. And they went and watched it and they're like, this is crazy. You know, he went through a little bit more, but those type of situations are what I deal with every day. And they're like, really? Yeah, no, that's literally some of the stuff I go through. He obviously went to a little more extreme and rightfully so, I think. But I think that was one of those things that really brought pharmacy to the forefront of what we do in everyone's mind and why we aren't a major player to blame in the opioid epidemic. Sure, some bad actors are in every profession. I'm not going to belittle that, but Dan would be awesome to get on. Um, Man, it's just there's not a lot of famous pharmacists, so it's always tough. It, I think it would be cool to get Javier Bashera on if I could, just because he's really stepped up to fight the PBMs and he's in a place now where he can really make some impact with that with with CMS and everything he's running. So I think that would be a cool guest. Probably the best guest I could hope to get on ever would be someone like Javier Bashera. It would also be cool to maybe get like a state governor or somebody like that who's really got some clout too. But he's kind of the one that if I could. Pick one out. Him and Dan Schneider would probably be my one-two. I also think Camille Schreier did a bang-up job as Miss America 2020, which is like the year of the pandemic. Just kind of showing that, hey, pharmacists are here. We're out there. And I think she's a good voice because we have so many women in pharmacy, right? You know, we're, we're men, but we're like, what, a third of the profession at this point for our age? I mean, it's we're not the majority at all. So I think it's good to see a woman out there representing the profession too. So along with going with things in the future, you know, you've been doing pharmacy for a little bit now since you said you were 14. Where do you think you'll see pharmacy going in the next 10 years? I mean, I know people can't predict the future, but we had the Rutledge decision last year, and I feel like things have really turned a corner. So where do you see things going the next year, five, 10 years? I really see us stepping up into that primary care role. And I know people are going to say, oh, provider status. Like, yeah, but I also really see primary care. And the reason is, and part of this is where I'm working now, right? Primary care loves having us involved because we can do a lot of the follow-up visits and things like that. And then we can get more patients in the door because we're dealing with people who have a little bit more need and things like that with where we work. So much of what primary care does is just kind of, and I'm not belittling them in any way, shape, or form, but it's what pharmacists are suited to do. We know all the drugs. We know how to manage diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemias, all those type of things, your basic infection control for like ear infections or what have you. Now, I know that diagnosing isn't necessarily what we're taught all the way when it comes to some of those things, but anything that can be pretty much you know checked with blood work and lab values is totally in the pharmacist's scope of practice in my mind to help run and control so you're looking at things like you know kidney transplant medications as just another example that's a little more complex, a little more specialty with it. I think we could really step up there. And especially when you look at there's a huge predicted shortage in primary care due to the lack of payment and just accessibility. I mean, if you try and get a new primary care doctor right now, it's going to take you months to get in the door. So I think you know, with the glut of pharmacists, that's something and just how accessible we are we could really step into that. So I think you're going to see more offices built onto pharmacies. I know Walmart had a big push with that. And you're going to see us really step into kind of like that NP, even primary care role to help people. I, I Nothing with controls just because it's a conflict of interest with access. 
But when it comes, you know, your metformin, adding refills, managing that, your blood pressure, heck, even birth control, things like that, just being able to provide that access point to people is huge. I hope it doesn't go the way of people come up and just start demanding it. I don't think every drug should be OTC, although I do understand some people's argument to that. But I think that we need to help be a little bit of a gatekeeper with that so people are doing what's right for them and ordering the labs, following up with them, things like that. So I would say primary care would be a way you're going to see pharmacy really kind of just almost naturally slide into given our skill set. No, I, I could not agree more. I mean, I, I could say a thousand different things about this, but, you know, one or two of them was I actually had a rotation when I was in my fourth year of pharmacy school where the pharmacist met with a number of different patients before they met with their primary care provider. You did a little mini MTM, you know, you discussed about what some medication changes that you're going to recommend to the provider and just really did a more holistic approach. I mean, a lot of these elderly patients, it is medication management. I mean, yes, sometimes come in with a cold or they are having an exacerbation of their asthma or a number of different things, but there's so much of just, it's a primary care checkup and it's checking in on their medications. It's checking their diabetes. It's their asthma. And I think that's where pharmacy can play a huge role. I will say this to shout out my alma mater university <laughs> of Kentucky college of pharmacy. They have a new curriculum that they started the year after I graduated where they are teaching some diagnosis. So they are teaching pharmacists, how, not only how to interpret lab values like we all have learned how to do, but to do a little bit of that basic diagnosis level in the hopes that we can be placed in these primary care situations. And so, yes, I definitely agree with you that that is where pharmacy is headed because there is such a shortage of primary care pr providers. You know, I mean, you look at it too, right? So, like, we were talking about this leading up to the podcast. How many times do you see something like amlodipine 5, like, take two once a day? And you're like, oh, come on. Just, like, give them the 10. Like, that's that's what they need, right? Or you see something, like, goofy, like, atorvastatin 80 BID. No, no, you meant once a day. Like, come on, let's fix that. That's max dose. You know, all those little things that we're hopping in and fixing, it just, like, fits right into primary care and so many different levels. Plus, we have access to like the formularies, and if we build something, and we can say, "Hey, here's this copay, here's this one," but we know this other one costs cheaper. Maybe that'll work. We know cash versus what the, the copays are, and things like that. It just makes sense that we have the access to switch it and not have to have the. I don't want to say this in a negative way, but like the brain power of an MD wasted on like a prior authorization form. When we can do that, we have all the ability to do it, and we have the knowledge to do it. Couldn't agree more. So are there any other big special thank yous or shout outs you want to have for this 100th episode? <laughs> well, definitely my wife. I can't say that one enough because she puts up with me sitting in here for hours editing podcasts or me staying up late and coming to bed at like, you know, 2 a.m. or something crazy just because it's something I'm passionate about. You know, some of the other big supporters who really haven't actually been on but have supported me a lot behind the scenes. Well, and I'm going to butcher his name, but SWAT Cabosopathy. He's awesome. He's a Kappasai brother of mine. He's down there running the Avant Institute in North Carolina with, um, I, I don't remember all the names, but like Olivia Bentley and Amina, I think it's Abu Bakar. I'm probably going to butcher her name. I'm sorry if I did do that. But he's really down there helping to kind of change the game of teaching pharmacists and helping show more clinical stuff. And a lot of times he'll bounce things like off me or I'll bounce them off him. It's kind of cool to 
have someone like that that I can just talk to and just be 100% open on and drop profanity back and forth when we see something that just drives us, you know, absolutely mad. Other thank yous, honestly, APAJ has done an awesome job of just kind of helping me if I reach out to anyone there. Uh, NCPA has also done some of that too with just connecting me with people. So it's really interesting how the, how that works. But to be honest with you too, and I'm, I'm biased with this, Ohio Pharmacists Association has been amazing for me when it comes to just making connections. Like some of the people I already mentioned were in OPA and a lot of them have even left to join APHA because they've kind of leveled up because of all the things that Ohio's kind of stirred the pot with. It's one of those things that I can't tell people enough. Go support your state organizations because they know on the on the granular level what's going on and how to reach out to help make a difference. Now, certain state orgs are probably better than others, just you know, state by state. But I know in my home state of Ohio, it makes me kind of proud to see how much they've done. Yeah, I agree. I think especially in this last year since the Rutledge decision that now is the time to yes. get involved because changes can be made and now is the time to push for those changes while it's possible and still fresh in everyone's mind can really get this stuff done. Even if you just join and then help them sign their letters, things like that, that makes a difference. You don't have to be somebody who's up spending hours doing a podcast or driving down to your state capital to go wait three hours to speak for five minutes in, in support of something or testimony against it, whatever it is. So even just helping them by joining makes a huge difference because no one's getting rich working in those organizations. They might get a paycheck, but they're definitely not getting rich. So as you know, being the regular host of this podcast, <laughs> uh, it's always ended with two questions. And the first one is, if you could change one thing in pharmacy that isn't a law, what would it be and why? And I will say, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. I want you to answer these with something that hasn't been given before in these past 100 episodes. All right. It's hard for me to always keep track just because I don't like to filter anybody and some of them have been the same, but I kind of have two and they kind of go hand in hand. One is I would like to see pharmacists really looking for a third door in our profession more. And what I mean by that is there's the obvious like, okay, clinical hospital side and then the retail outpatient side. But I would love to see us really play in like that middle ground more. Like I alluded to like primary care where we're taking on totally different roles. PGX is something I think is really cool, like the whole you know DNA testing of it to see how things work and some of the differences, especially when you have really complex patients or like really unique situations where nothing seems to work for them. I think just looking for those third doors are going to be vital for our profession going forward, especially if we start seeing major changes on drug prices and PBM reform and more transparency, which we need. But I feel like that some of those old ways of playing in the in the sandbox with some of these big chains is going to have to change. We saw a lot of it with COVID, right? Obviously more vaccinations, more testing, more of those helping people get through an urgent situation and keeping them out of the ER and hospital and just how vital we were. So I think that we need to keep looking for like those third doors or those other options that might not be obvious to really try and help people and just kind of leaning into what people need in general. The other one, which I guess is kind of tied to this is I really think as a profession, we need to get a stronger backbone. And that means like every single pharmacist out there, right? And I've had my moments, like no one's perfect, but just not letting other people run our profession and just truly owning it. And I'll be honest, when I did this at at like a chain level, I would get a lot of pushback when I I would not follow something because it was not what was best for the patient or because it started putting me and my techs in a situation where now we were overburdened and couldn't actually take care of the patients on like the 101 level of what we do. So I would love to see pharmacists get for lack of a better word, a stronger backbone, stand up for ourselves. And when you're put in a situation where you don't, you're not comfortable, just say no. 
and I don't want to quote Nancy Reagan by when I'm saying that, but you know, just be able to say no and stand and hold your ground when you know you're right, you know you're confident in what you're doing. And and I, I agree completely. And it's it's so hard when you know something when you're filling a script or whatever it may be is maybe it is legal, but that's a stretch and it's in the gray area (laughs) and your boss just does not understand, does not have your back and, you know, goes behind you and, you know, apologizes to the patient profusely when they're clearly in the wrong. So it is very nice. It would be a lot nicer if we could stand up and really take charge of our profession again. Yeah. So if you could change one law in pharmacy, what would it be and why? Oh, man, I've, I've got so many on this one. And there's been a, a wide range of answers on this one on the podcast. Susie Solomon still has the most unique one, I think, when she said Botox. I had never thought about that. But she was looking for that third door, so it goes to my first one. I think that was a cool one. I really think that pharmacists should be the ones who are really overseeing the prescribing. So, I, And I'm not sure exactly how this works, right? So like, I can see the vision, but the logistics are kind of where I'm dealing with how to make it work. But where MDs, MPs are doing some of the diagnosing, the more the complex thing, the specialists, and running a diagnosis. And then we're having the pharmacists who are helping pick the right medication for that person because it's not a formulary, because of cost, because of what's available, you know, things like that. You know, what's, that, what's on back order? that we're really helping pick the right drug. And I will say some specialties, like, yeah, they can, they're probably better than someone like me at working a counter at picking it. But I really think pharmacists, if we need to dig into our specialties and be able to rely on each other a little bit better, just with communication, that we should be really the ones who are out there picking the drug and what's right for the person. Now, I know there's possible conflict of interest with price, but if we bring more transparency to that, that can go away very quickly too. So I think that that would be, what does right for the patient in many instances. So they're not, you know, driving around all over crazy doing stuff, can't find it. It's on back order. Then there's a paperwork and communications going back and forth that could get lost. I really think pharmacists picking the medication is the way to go. And so I would love to see every script come with a diagnosis code and some things like that. Maybe some lab values included just so that we can help pick what's the right medication for them. The other law I would love to see is only pharmacists are allowed to be in charge of pharmacies. And that means like vertically the whole way through. So, and then you can hold them accountable too. But I really think that only pharmacists should be in charge. Even if it's like running like a PBM, right? Only a pharmacist should be in charge of that. It's literally pharmacy benefit. Who else should run that besides the pharmacist? Why would we have somebody who doesn't have a degree in that field, at least a doctorate level degree, if not a PhD level degree in that field, running it and making the decisions. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. And Again, it kind of goes back to getting a backbone for our profession a little bit, but you know, we really need to just point out to legislators, hey, why are people running this who have no actual skin in the game and it's not their profession? Like, not to knock people with MBAs, but why are MBAs running PharmDs? I know MDs don't put up with it, so why do we? To go back to one of your most recent episodes too, with the PBMs, it's like there's just a complete conflict of interest, and so to pay pharmacists to take care of the medication management of patients in whatever form that may come about I is, I think, such a strong recommendation that I think would not only improve patient outcomes, but also improve our profession and save a whole lot of money across the board. Yeah. And a lot of that, when you think of it, so when you look at how many times you get a prescription, I love picking on this drug because certain 
sections of Twitter like to pick on it, but like let's look for proper use of a tenol, right? Like let's see how like appropriate that's being used. It's probably overused just because of the cost of it when you generally look at the population. Let's look at some drugs like statins that are just generally underused. You know, all of a sudden it comes in diagnosis diabetes. Okay, let's get some labs with that. You know, like let's see, yeah, you probably should be on a statin. Oh look, they forgot that one. But somehow that also affects my reimbursement and the prescriber star ratings, which still doesn't make any sense to me. You know, let's also look at like, hey, are they on an ARB or an ACE inhibitor? Like, let's look at like the whole picture. Do they have test strips? All those things that kind of get forgotten. Now we can have a conversation with, educate them, get reimbursed for that service, and then they walk out happier and better cared for when that prescriber is kind of rushed to see all these other patients or maybe hop over to hospital or do a surgery or whatever it is. Could not agree more. So is there anything else you want to say in this final part of the 100th grand episode? <laughs> uh, your hyperbole kills me, and I'm dying laughing over here. Uh, we're actually doing this on <laughs> FaceTime for the guests, and Tyler's cracking me up. But, uh, you know, I, honestly, I wouldn't be where it was if it wasn't for people listening and sharing it. And this, just the general support, I, can't, I would never have guessed I got this many listens on a podcast, and I somehow end up in the top 5% of podcasts according to some of the data that I've seen across, like, all the platforms. So it's kind of weird for me to see like I'm somehow like a top podcaster that I also listen to the podcast all the time. So I'm like, wait a minute, like this is weird. Like it's like, you know, almost like watching yourself on TV, except I don't listen to my own episodes because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. Uh, so it's just, I don't know. I just think it's really cool, but it's really nice to hear that people support it. People agree with it. That's always nice to feel like you're being heard and that so many people really kind of like have pointed at it to other people to help educate them. or And hopefully that I taught them something about pharmacy too. And I think that's a, really one of the cool things about this is it's kind of also educational within the profession too. Well, I just want to thank you, Eric, for coming on to your show today <laughs> and having me guest host this. Um, thank you, Political Pharmacy Podcast listeners, for listening today. This is your prescription for pharmacy and politics. 